Welcome to Nurturing Nature, the official podcast for the Quarry Lane Environmental Club. My name is Romo Mitter, and I'm the moderator and host for Nurturing Nature. In this episode, we are extremely honored to have the co-founder and CEO of Pulpworks, a company that is pioneering the manufacturing of sustainable packaging. With more than 40 years of operations experience, Paul Tassner has held various leadership positions in ventures from startups to Fortune 100. His focus on sustainability drove him to create Pulpworks, where an emphasis was placed upon challenging the traditional plastic packaging industry. For his work, Paul Tassner has been the recipient of more than 20 prestigious awards, including becoming a TED resident and Pulpworks has been awarded a patent for their breakthrough work in creating a compostable replacement for plastic packaging. It is with great honor that we welcome Paul Tassner onto this podcast. Hello, Mr. Tassner. Hi, Romel. Thank you so much. And hi, Hannah. Um, this, is, uh, this is an honor for me as well. And I have to say, that was one of the best introductions I've ever heard for myself. The pleasure is all ours. Okay. Mr. Tassner, can you tell us a little bit about how you entered the field of sustainability and decided to create your own company? Sure. Um, it's, um, I think it's fair to say that um, I wasn't really passionate about sustainability for well, frankly, the better part of my life. I mean, I, I think I was a good citizen. I, I recycled and all those things, but it, but it didn't go really much beyond that. Um, but about, uh, oh gosh, about 15 years ago, I, I took a job with a company here in the Bay Area that really had a strong focus on sustainability, particularly around, oh, packaging um, and um, using safe, non-toxic materials in their products. And I, I was really taken with their approach. And I became, um, I just became more and more interested and passionate about it. It was hard not to, working in that environment every day, all day long. Um, but I, I really uh, sincerely appreciated what they were doing. It, it really touched me. And uh, I became more and more passionate about it. And then when I left the company, which uh, which frankly wasn't my own choice, I was fired. Um, I was fired uh, at the age of 64, um, just a few days before Christmas, too, which was a really nice touch. Um, and um, company wasn't doing very well at that time. It, it was It was a recession time here. Um, well, actually all over the planet, really, around 2008 or so. And uh, and this company really suffered during the um, recession and had to cut their staff. So um, I, uh, I was let go and um, decided that um, after a lifetime of working for others, I wasn't going to do that anymore. And um, I didn't know what I would do. I, I mean... I shouldn't have been surprised by my dismissal, but I, I still was. You know, I think we're we're our own worst enemies. There, we think we think we're invincible or something. But um, so I really didn't know what to do. I didn't have any plans. First thing I thought about was consulting. I'll, I'll do consulting. I've been in this business for four decades, and I've got a lot of contacts. Um, but that honestly did not feel very good. I 
I kind of knew this would be my last gig. You know, I, I wasn't going to get another job at my age, nor did I want another job, really. Um, this felt like kind of my last, the last thing I'd be doing in, in a professional capacity. And just doing some consulting just didn't feel, I, I, didn't, I didn't want that to be the last thing I did. I wanted to do something special. And so I just kept investigating different ideas uh, for starting my own business. And little by little, it wasn't like I woke up one day and said, aha, I'll, I'll do sustainable packaging. It's just little by little, it just sort of took shape um, from talking with people and um, just, you know, kind of relying on my own background and what I knew best. And it all kind of came together that this this kind of packaging from from waste, from 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 pulp um, was really the right way to go. Um, you could create some wonderful packaging and it would absolutely do no harm whatsoever to the earth. I mean, composting within 60 to 90 days or recycling it if you wished. You know, it was just an infinitely better choice for packaging than plastic. Not for all packaging. I mean, you know, you're not going to use molded pulp to replace plastic bottles, for instance. It doesn't hold liquids for a lot of obvious reasons. It just, you know, it just breaks down under, you know, uh, constant water contact. But but for other kinds of single-use disposable packaging for non-liquid products, it's a perfect vehicle. So, um that was the idea. There's a lot of a lot of ageism going on in the world of investing, and I, you know I think I suffered from that too. Um, and then you know the rest I think were just reasons that I had no control over. In the Bay Area, there are so many tech companies to invest in, and um, I just think people didn't see this as a as a you know they weren't going to get rich overnight investing in pulp works. So we decided that we would outsource our manufacturing. There are a lot of companies, you know, both here and abroad that make products out of molded pulp. And and I knew some of them as well from my previous work. Um, and so we became partners with six of these companies, none of whom are in the U.S., I must say. Um, companies in the U.S. were not interested in partnering with us. They they um, they were interested in large volume contracts, something we could not give them as a startup. Um, and they basically said, come back when you're bigger. So uh, we went overseas to some, uh, you know, contacts that I had from my previous life. And we formed partnerships with those companies. It, it's just worked out great. Yeah, it's amazing to hear how you started on this journey. Can you tell us a little bit about Pulpworks' mission and where you envision the company in the long term? Sure. Um, well, our, our, our vision is, is pretty straightforward. We want to replace all unnecessary single-use plastic packaging. I mean, and, you know, little by little by little, I'm sure. I'm I'm sure it'll take quite some time to get there, but but that's our that's our that's our long term mission is just replacing single use unnecessary plastic packaging, and where will we be? You know, we get asked this question: Where do you want to be in ten years? Where do you think you'll be? I honestly don't know. I I mean I I didn't know we'd be here 
after the first 10 years, well, it's not quite 10, but um, if somebody said to me 10 years ago, where do you think you'll be in 10 years? I probably would have guessed wrong. I don't know if I would have guessed too high or too low. Um, so I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to guess because, you know, the truth is we love what we're doing. We're doing something good. I don't know too many people in my life, both, both, pre, both current and past who love waking up in the morning and going to work. Um, and I do. And that's not just because I have to go in the next room. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I loved it even when I had to go farther than that. But I do. I love getting up every day and doing the work of this business. And most people can't say that. Um, it, particularly my peers, they're just, well, most of them have retired. They were just waiting to retire. I, and I, I will say this, and, I, and I, I mean this sincerely. I probably have more in common with you two young women than I do with people my own age who are just completely retired and playing golf twice a week. Yeah, I think it's so amazing how you believe that age provides no boundary. Absolutely. And, and you know, most of my day is spent not talking to people my age. Almost everyone, by definition, is younger than me. But, um, yeah, people, people my age who have kind of, you know, really checked into retirement. I mean, they have just changed gears. They are in retirement. I don't feel like we have that much to talk about. So that's why it's a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so would you be able to tell us a little bit about what Carta Pack is and what goals you have for it? And just for the audience, um, Pulpworks has been awarded a patent for the new Carta Pack compostable packaging. So um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. Um, first of all, just for background, the Carta Pack is, is a name that we gave to a, to a design, so to speak. And what it is, is um, it's a replacement for what everyone, I think everyone might have a different name for it, but we call it the blister pack. It's that plastic blister pack. It, it's those rows and rows of, let's say, cosmetics in Walgreens, uh, mascaras, lipstick, and they're on, a, they're on a card, and the card is printed with graphics, and it has a barcode and all the you know, colorful branding, and then a, plast a clear plastic blister on the front of that card, and inside that blister is the item that you're buying. So you have to tear that blister off when you get home and take the mascara out, and then you throw the blister and the card away. The card's not the problem. That, that's made of paperboard. Um, you know, maybe it's got some toxic inks or something, but it's not the, the plastic blister is the problem. It used to be PVC. Um, nowadays, it, it's more often than not PET, um, which theoretically can be recycled, but it doesn't get recycled. I mean, it, it probably doesn't even go in the recycling when people tear it apart, they probably throw it all in landfill. So it's that package that we sought to replace. And our Carta pack is pretty much the reverse of that package. It's the same card printed with all the graphics and everything. And then on the back of the card, not the front of the card, because our blister is not transparent. On the back of the card is our blister with the item for sale inside. 
And, and just so that consumers can see what they're getting, the front of the card usually has a cutout where you can see the object, not all of it, but you can see some of it inside. And so you know that there is a, a tube of mascara in there or something. But it, it's basically the opposite of the plastic blister pack. It's like flipped around. Um, and, and therein lies the problem. That plastic blister pack could not be any cheaper. Um, and as such, it's really hard to compete with. Really hard. Our, ours is, frankly, a couple of pennies more. But, but as somebody at L'Oreal once said to me, and this really stuck with me, Paul, if your package is one-tenth of a penny more than my plastic blister, I can't use it. And I said, a tenth of a penny? You can't, you can't make that up somehow? She said, no, a tenth of a penny is actually a lot of money. We sell four billion packages of CoverGirl every year. And um, so uh, that didn't go anywhere. But, um, so the... Uh, the current state of affairs is that we haven't sold many Carta packs. I mean, most of the work we do is, is other, other kinds of pulp molded products, trays and boxes and things like that. But, um, but we're holding out hope for the Carta pack. At, at some point in time, um, even though there is a differential, the differential will become quite small as we get up to 40 million packages too, um, because the volume will will erase a lot of that price differential. I mean, we haven't been around. Plastic's been around for sixty years, and you know it's in the it's in the trillions of pieces. We don't have those kinds of numbers, and so um, yeah, ours will be a little bit more expensive until we can reach that kind of level of acceptance. But the good news is that perhaps even before we get to those numbers, um, regulations will insist that the plastic blister pack be re replaced. In Europe, it's already happening. I mean, they, they're actually on timetables where they have to stop using certain kinds of plastic packaging. It's not, it's not on the companies up to their discretion. The governments have said it. And if you're not, there'll be huge penalties uh, associated with not getting out of plastic. We don't have that kind of regulatory environment here. They do in Canada and in, and in many other parts of the world, but not here. And, you know, um, maybe we will now that things are uh, kind of changing. I'm still keeping my fingers crossed about that. But um, maybe the environment will be more um, accommodating to those kinds of changes. But, um, but we're, we have a lot of hope for it, that's for sure. Yeah, I remember seeing a picture of uh, Pulp Works. They made ornaments for Anthropology, the store. I, th I thought it was really wonderful to see sort of the versatility of what we can do with Pulp in terms of like decorations and packaging. So yeah, that was that was really interesting. That was, that was very exciting. What they did was uh, they ordered um, uh, Pulp Christmas ornaments for every store in the chain. I, I, they have, you know, hundreds of stores. And then they held a contest uh, because we sent them just just bare uh, pulp, and they held a contest and which store could um, decorate the ornaments the best. So um, lots of opportunities, and um, we'll be we'll be here ready for them. I hope. 
We would love to hear your thoughts on how companies should begin to make this transition towards more sustainable packaging like Carta Pack and the projected benefits that you think this will have. Sure. Um, well, as as we were discussing with Carta Pack, yes, you know that particular item is a couple of cents more than its counterpart. Um, and in general, yes, we are in general a fraction more than our plastic counterpart. You know, we're often we're often asked to replace um, you know something that's been made from plastic, and and the companies are perfectly willing to accept that it's a couple of pennies more. Um, the um, the the you know the blister pack is a, is a special item because it's it's so inexpensive. You know, the difference between two cents and four cents is, is, is quite dramatic versus 22 cents and 24 cents, you know. So um, so we do make a lot of plastic replacements and they are, you know, fractionally more. Um, but um, we do make a lot of uh, items that are not replacements, that companies just do the right thing from day one. They don't start off using plastic. They start off using sustainable packaging. And those are the kinds of partners we love to have because we know, you know, we know that we have similar mindsets about the environment, etc. Um, but for those, you know, for those who need convincing, if, if it seems silly to even say that people need convincing to do the right thing, but, but the fact of the matter is many do, um, that extra two cents and, and, Two cents is just a figure of speech. Don't take me literally there. But that extra two cents is often made up by other factors that companies don't really take into consideration. Um, and um, we were talking about in Europe how there are regulatory issues. Um, companies that are using plastic packaging in Europe in particular, they pay a higher tax on that package because when it's disposed of, it costs the the state or the county or the country, it costs the country more money to deal with that. It may it may create a toxic landfill, whatever it is, it costs more to handle that package at the end of its life than it does a compostable package which which simply composts. So there's that difference in price. That's a real price differential. That that extra taxation is on that company. So, yeah, that purchasing agent may not know what that number is. And that's why he or she is saying, well, yours is 20 cents and mine is 18 cents. Yeah, but you're paying an extra 4 cents per package just as an end-of-life taxation or something like that. So there's that. And then the other thing is um, another, I would call it a hidden cost, but it's it's only hidden to the purchasing agent. Um, an HR person will tell you that it's not hidden at all. Companies that do environmentally good things have less employee turnover. People want to work for a company that's doing the right thing. But what we love most of all is a company that is right-minded and doesn't have to be persuaded and, you know, 
they don't need that kind of evidence in front of them. They know the evidence already. They they know that this is doing it doing it right is 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 the right way. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a really great point uh, that as more regulations are put in place and people start to realize what the true values of the company are, I think it's going to be more and more apparent what the uh, benefits are. Um, and lastly, in order to stay informed of various environmental issues, what sources would you recommend for our audience to use? I'm, I'm at a loss to be specific because there's just just a torrent of information online. Um, when you, I mean, when you, when you search on the right terms, it will yield so much information that if you follow it down the rabbit hole, you'll, you know, and it doesn't take much to become a subscriber to anything nowadays. I, I would say, you know, search on sustainable packaging and, and then follow those threads and see where it leads you. Um, there are so many different organizations that you can, you know, you can follow uh, the Sustainable Packaging Coalition. You may have you may have heard of um, um, a B Corp. It stands for Benefit Company. It's a it's an alliance of hundreds, maybe even thousands of companies around the world that are doing beneficial things. It's not just about sustainability. It's about everything, how they treat their employees, how they treat the planet. Um, uh, so B Corp is, is, is good to look up. And then, uh, you know, one of the, probably one of the, as they say, the granddaddy of, of all sustainable organizations is something called Cradle to Cradle. Um, there's even a wonderful book called Cradle to Cradle. And and it's just what we've been talking about. It's the life of something from from its origins to the end of its life back where it started. So it's all about the circular economy. Just a phenomenal organization and a phenomenal concept. And um, that's that would be more than enough to get you started. Yeah, and I think similar to Cradle to Cradle, I'm not sure if you've heard of this organization, but um, an organization called Oceans Cleanup, it kind of focuses on the same thing, turning trash Absolutely. that they get from the oceans into various different products. And I think that's a really great sustainable organization as well that Absolutely. has a similar goal. And there's many others, uh, uh, many others of that ilk. Uh, Five Gyres is another ocean cleanup uh, and, you know, the, the health of our oceans organization, I think. They might even be based in the Bay Area or in California for sure. Um, yeah. So thank yeah. you, Mr. Tassner, for those wise words. I would now like to turn it over to Hannah Yu, who will be taking questions from the audience. It was really inspiring to hear kind of what Pulpworks has done. And our audience has sent in a few questions. Prajanya would like to know if it is a feasible goal for companies to sort of shift away from using plastic usage, especially since most of the big companies really heavily rely on it. And like, if so, how long do you think this shift would take for a company? Well, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, yes, it, just as we've discussed here, um, although our, our materials are at a higher cost than plastic, it's not the kind of price difference that is, well, for most companies, it wouldn't be considered a dramatic difference, but for most companies, it doesn't have to be dramatic 
If it's higher at all, they're not interested in doing it. Um, but I don't think they can hang on to that kind of thinking forever and be a viable company. I think at some point, you know, consumers um, are going to insist that they stop. Um, consumer product companies do pay attention to their consumers. They really do. Um, if you call up and complain about a product, they listen. I, I was kind of amazed at how much credence they give to like a single phone call. I mean, I saw it myself. So the power of consumers is is really formidable. And um, that can help companies change, perhaps before they're willing to. Um, because I think it's going to have to be voluntary. It, you know, it'll probably be a long time before we're behaving more like, well, frankly, the rest of the world, but particularly Europe, where there are regulations in place that basically insist that we change uh, or pay the penalty for not changing. Um, so it's going to have to be voluntary, at least for the time being. But uh, I don't think we're powerless. I think, you know, companies will come around on their own. And if not, consumers can make that happen faster. I, I truly believe that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think also companies like the Rainforest Alliance that focus on pinpointing companies that don't use sustainable practices, I think those organizations are really useful in um, making these different organizations shift towards more sustainable practices as they feel more left behind almost as more companies turn towards this new era. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I remember we were actually discussing in one of my classes um, company like big companies like Walmart, they've kind of noticed if they don't adopt these sustainable practices, there it comes to a point where they may not be able to produce anymore because there's no more materials to use. So big companies like Walmart are actually kind of starting this shift. So I think that's really wonderful to see. Okay, so our next question is from Krithik and he wants to know how technology can sort of help us in this journey. Um, to create a more sustainable world and then how in particular Pulpworks is able to use technology to accomplish your goals? Ah, that's a good question because I, you know, I certainly don't think of us as being, well, certainly not a tech firm and the, to what extent does technology play a role for us or could it play a role, a greater role for us? Well, the, the, I mean, Plain and simple, the the machinery, literally the machinery that is used to create our packaging, is you know sophisticated, highly you know highly technical machinery, um, driven by technology, um, but um, and that will continue to evolve. Machinery will become more and more sophisticated, more and more capable of you know, fast, faster speeds and, you know, more precision. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, but how will it play a role, you know, in, in other ways outside of that, which, um, which I would almost call the obvious ways. Um, uh, you know, I can tell you the way that technology has played some role uh, in our business. I, I suspect that you know, we, we wouldn't be here talking today if it weren't for some forms of technology. For instance, um, when I launched the business, and this is going back 10 years, but we still do this, um, 
we still practice this every day. Um, I went to a seminar on uh, search engine optimization uh, because we knew we knew we needed to have a website and we wanted to drive traffic to to our website. I am thrilled to tell you that today, sitting here, I haven't called a customer for business in probably three years. Every piece of business that we have today is has come to us over the internet to our website. Without that kind of search engine, uh, you know, SEO technology. We, would, we wouldn't be here talking. I, I wouldn't have a business. It's really interesting to see how companies sort of have to adapt to our changing marketplace with kind of the shift into the digital age. And I think digital marketing is definitely very important. Like you mentioned, um, search engine optimization. So yeah, thank you for that insight. Uh, our next question is from Sachi and Kunal. And this sort of touched a little bit about this sort of touches on what we were talking about before, but how have your initial goals and ideas for your company changed over the course of the last 10 years? Ah, that's a good question. I, I think initially we fell into that, that, um, that where do you want to be in five years trap? You know, we want to be double our sales or, uh, I think we were thinking like in traditional terms initially, um, I don't think we realized that whatever we were doing, whether we were doubling from year to year or one year we were up, the next year we were down, whatever it was, I don't think we realized early on that that would be okay. And and it really is for us. It's the journey. We we don't we don't have a particular goal in sight. We're just we're trying to yes, we want to stay in business, but we seem to be able to do that quite nicely. So we have no investors. Yeah, I think like you said earlier, taking it step by step um, every single day and then um, just really enjoying the work that you're doing. To, the, to that comment, Romel, um, I don't think, I think being an entrepreneur is, is, is the best work in the world. But I don't think that, you know, that's the first thing you guys should do when, when you're finished with a formal education. I think it does make an enormous amount of sense to, you know, find find some meaningful work. I mean, um, and I don't want to sound like a like a cynic. You know, at some point in this meaningful job that you have, it's going to turn sour. Um, you don't see people in jobs for twenty years anymore, forty years. In fact, it it nowadays it's looked upon as a liability. My God, you spend twenty years somewhere. You you have no ambition, or you know, I mean. But I still think it makes sense to get out there and 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 learn and and experience employment, et cetera, and get some background, especially if you're going to use that background as a launching pad for something entrepreneurial down the road. Um, I think being an entrepreneur just feels so much more fulfilling once you've been down that other road as well. Yeah, I mean, just talking to you this past hour, I mean, I'm sure Roma can see too, you just, we can really see how passionate you are about your work. And like, to me, that's really inspiring. And I can only hope to sort of also pursue that journey in my future. So you guys can tell I'm not faking it. I, this is how I really feel. Yeah, you genuinely love what you do. And it's um, really inspiring to see that. Mm -hmm, definitely. Uh, so we have one final question from Tuli. Uh -huh. And she would like to know, in your opinion, 
what is the most effective way that someone can positively impact the environment? Well, I think we've, I think we've touched on it. Aside from the classic response of just being a good recycler or, or you know, just being mindful, um, is 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 being a good consumer, being 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 a thoughtful consumer, calling those companies that are the biggest culprits here, the ones that are, you know, the ones that are just using plastic packaging unnecessarily, really unnecessarily. I mean, I think, you know, be just wonderful to see a snowball effect of companies getting out. And I'm not saying that because we'd be there to create their their non-plastic packaging. For all I know, we won't. Some other company will come in and get their business, but um, I just think it's good for everybody when that changes. And level your complaints. And the more people that level the same complaints, they really listen. And that's what it'll take to budge them. Um, and then do all the other things that you would do anyway. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm starting to starting to wonder um, whether recycling is really moving the moving the yardstick very much. Um, I think people think it's this great answer to all of our problems. I, I don't think it even begins to solve them, but uh, I guess it's better than not recycling. Yeah, and the point that you were making about um, the money and the power that consumers have, I think I've heard this phrase that um, everyone votes with every dollar they spend, and I think that's really important because depending on how much you spend on a certain company, that really gives the company power. So as you um, start to move away from companies that don't practice um, very environmentally friendly ways, I think that's really going to pressure them. Do your do your homework. See who see which companies are really passionate about this and and other and those that are just as they say greenwashing those that are just you know trying to pull the wool over the consumer's eyes you can tell i mean a, a pretty quick examination of their uh, products or their website it'll tell you pretty quickly uh, look at patagonia i mean you know they're 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 iconic uh as a company that cares about our planet and and there are others Still, still in the minority, sadly, but there, there are others, and it's growing, though. It, it's definitely growing. Yeah, and, and touching on what you were talking about with Patagonia, I remember they had this ad that said, don't buy this jacket, yes. uh, because they wanted to promote sort of like mindful consumption. Yes, it was, it, it was clever, I mean, I'm, because it really, it really made you think about them. I mean, so it was clever to do that, but I think it was also sincere in many ways. They are that kind of company. Um, and, and there's other companies like them in other categories. And those are the ones who should, you, whose business you should give, you know, those are the ones to whom you should give your business. Mr. Tasman, you're such an inspiration and role model for many people across the world. Your view, especially that age does not limit anyone from taking action and becoming involved in sustainability is such an amazing perspective that really resonates with me. So do you have any final words or advice that you can leave our audience with, and especially youth who are looking to engage with environmentalism on a deeper level? Well, thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for, for your kind words. It's, it's, it's been a joy talking to both of you. It's meant as much to me as to you, I, I, I trust. Um, 
Words of wisdom. I just, I just think entrepreneurism is such meaningful work. It, you know, doing what you're passionate about and actually making a living at it. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't underscore how important I think it is. Um, you know, both, both for you personally and professionally and. Um, small businesses create most of the jobs in this country. You know, that's a stated fact. Um, but I do think it makes an, a lot of sense to to find more traditional employment when, when school is finally over um, and see what it's like out there in the marketplace, get some experience, make connections, um, because it's hard to do all that when you're starting a business. I had 40 years of experience when I launched my business. No, it wasn't enough to get me an investor. You know, as I told you, they didn't want to invest in someone who had no track record. Um, but you can imagine how well it served my, you know, my work itself. 40 years of experience, um, you know, working with the, the same kinds of concepts and projects and I mean you know it was invaluable invaluable yeah and do you have any um, pieces of advice for people looking to become involved in environmentalism particularly well uh, other than to say yes you should because uh, you know I think it's just going to become a more and more important factor um, I mean the whole world you know and and soon the United States as well has signed on to uh, the Paris Accords for climate change. I mean, I think the whole world recognizes we've got to do something. What could be a bigger environmental story than than uh, than climate change? And um, I think I think there will be there are and there will continue to be enormous opportunities in in that area, and they'll get to be like everything else. You know, that as as they grow and mature. Um, these opportunities, they become so specific. The experts, um, you know, become expert in such a small sliver of climate change, you know. Um, whereas, you know, 20 years ago, you were a climate scientist, you probably knew a little bit about everything in the field of climate change. Nowadays, you know, there are just so many different areas to explore and so many areas of specialization uh, that will require more and more education as well. But it's fine. It's fine. The more background you have, the more, you know, the better it will it will suit you when you strike out on your own. Maybe in the very same field, in an area that somebody's not addressing or something like that. Yeah, thank you so much for your time, Mr. Tassner. It was such an incredible opportunity to have you speak on our podcast and hear your nuanced perspectives. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to join our join our podcast. Thank you oh, so much. It was a pleasure. That's a wrap on today's episode of Nurturing Nature. Thank you once again to Mr. Tasner for his insight and time. You can learn more about Paul Tasner's work and his company by visiting pulpworksinc.com. Please check out our latest magazine edition of Wild and Wondrous and stay tuned for our future episodes of Nurturing Nature.